morning, everybody. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and study the Word of God together. Um, appreciate them boys leading us in worship. It's, uh, one of the things that annoys me is when Christians are not as good at doing something that non-Christians are really good at. In other words, like uh, when, when non-believers have a skill or a gift that they exercise not for God's glory, you know? So when you're around talented musicians that are so good at their craft, but then are doing it for the praise and glory of the Lord, it's just awesome. And I'd say if you're like an HVAC worker, a welder, a nurse, a teacher, that applies to you. You should be the best in your field because that reflects on the goodness of the Lord and it brings God glory and honor. Um, anyway, that part of the rant was free. So that didn't have nothing to do with a sermon. Um, uh, so we're going to talk about the Bible this morning. We're talking about the Word of God. If, you, if you've, I mean, I've probably, the content we're going to cover this morning, I've probably covered some of it here before. I just, this is something I'm passionate about. You will find that, that guys that do itinerant work where they travel and preach, Oftentimes, there's going to be a, a, a consistency or similarity to their message. I do preach and teach at Snowbird Outfitters and also at Red Oak Church in Andrews. I'm on the teaching staff. And so there's, there's, a, but there's a different approach to traveling and going into a church and sharing a standalone message. Because when we're teaching at a camp or conference or when I'm preaching at my church, it's in the flow of a study or a series and everything's kind of stitched together. We do something like this. It's a one standalone sermon. It's going to have a lot of times a little different feel to it. Um, and so I love to talk about biblical manhood, masculinity. I love to talk about marriage and family. I love to talk about parenting and child rearing. Preached in Raleigh last weekend. Um, and it's cool. My son's a college football player. So when they have away games, I always book speaking engagements on the Sunday following it. Because um, I love to preach. And then I can go to his games and, and, and have like an expense account. You know, <laughs> turn my mileage into the IRS. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> but anyway, so they played at uh, UNC last week, and then I preached at Raleigh on um, on Sunday. I preached on on, mar- on uh, parenting. Preached on parenting, and um, so anyway, preaching and, and sharing this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Word of God. Two very familiar verses. I'll read those now. Second um, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we talk about the Word of God, the, the place of the Word of God in the life of the believer. This is, again, something that we talk about a lot, and any chance I have to, to speak on this, I like to, because I'm so passionate about it. And we do this with students. We, with students, we hold them to a high level of accountability, and we teach. Like when your students come to Snowbird, we do not we do not stay shallow high level with the way we teach the bible we go deep we dive really deep and i believe i i'm right now i'm spending money paying for a a math tutor for my 17 year old who is taking trigonometry or calculus i don't know it's all the same mess like it's you know like i don't i don't remember which one and but i know i have, i know she can't she i know she's just like me and her mama she can't do it but they expect her to and so we got to hire a tutor, you know. Uh, but the stuff that we expect, and and right now, you know, the stuff that they're expected to be responsible for in high school, it's crazy to me that we would dumb down biblical doctrine for them. 
um, you know, like trigonometry calculus, I'm spending money every Monday. The tutor comes over. She's a math teacher at another school. She comes, and she's a member of our church. Comes over, does math tutoring, then has supper with our family. And, uh, and I look at this content, and I'm like, if they're responsible for that, they can learn what words like efficacious mean. They can learn what the atone, the significance of the atonement of Jesus or what the doctrine of sanctification is. Let's expect them to do that. Let's expect, but let's live that out by being students of the word. Um, the, the main point of this message, the main point, I believe, of these two verses, I like to take a text, a passage, and, and hone it down into one statement. That's, that's sort of like a summation or a summary of this message. And so the main point, or the summary point of the message would be this. God's word applied to my life by his Holy Spirit is life and power for me and will grow me into the man God wants me to be, conforming me into the image of Jesus and carrying me victoriously to the finish. Read it again. God's word applied to my life by his Holy Spirit is life and power for me and will grow me into the man God wants me to be, conforming me into the image of Jesus and carrying me victoriously to the finish. It's one of the things that's important when we approach, and we're going to just this morning talk about how to study the Bible, the reason for studying the Bible. Like we're going to we're going to kind of touch on these these things, and I want to tell you that every believer, for for every Christian, life and growth is directly connected to your study of Scripture, to your commitment to the Word of God. And when we approach the Word of God, we approach the Word of God recognizing the authority that the Word of God has in our lives. We're gonna, one of the things that he speaks to is the authority of Scripture. So I approach the Word of God to be mastered by the Word of God, not to master the Word of God. So I, I, I approach the Word of God and I come under the Word of God. I don't come over it. I remember uh, doing, one time I was doing a... Um, I was doing... <clears throat> oh, no, I was... I was at camp, <clears throat> excuse me, I was just on our property, we had about 100 acres, I'm just, I'm just working, and on the grounds, and a neighbor, uh, uh, an older guy, he's retired, uh, he's retired, he's in his mid to late 80s, retired um, postmaster, and he comes rolling through on his side-by-side, uh, like his John Deere Gator or something like that, he pulls up, shuts it off, and says, I gotta ask you something, and uh, he said, what is your opinion on, and he, and he gives me a question that's something his church is dealing with. And he's a, he's like lifetime member of Andrew's First United Methodist Church in our little town. And he said, what is your opinion on such and such? And I said, well, I don't have an opinion on it, um, but the Word of God speaks to that. And so I submit to So what? I'll tell you what the Word of God says, and then I'll say I submit to that and believe that. That's not my opinion, though. That ain't an opinion. That's a biblical truth rooted in the nature and person and word of God. And I, and I submit to that. So, so you can, you choose, we choose to submit to biblical truth or to rebel against it. But there's no, it's not my opinion. Now, when we, when we start walking through the study of scripture, we talk, start talking about daily study. Um, uh, there are some things that are important in terms of how we approach the scripture. It's not that I'm trying to use my opinion or say, this is what this means to me. I'm, what I want to do is I want to ask the question, what is God saying? What is he speaking? And, and how am I going to wrestle with that? That's okay, wrestling with that. 
One of the things I teach my, taught, taught my kids when they were little is there's a right way to say why and question authority. There's a right spirit to question me as your father. You can question me, but there's a right way to do that. There's a wrong way to do that. We can, we can wrestle with biblical truth. We can ask God hard questions. There's a right way to approach that. And there's a wrong way to approach that. And the, the right way begins with understanding that when we study the scripture, there's some things that are, that, that are, that are important in how we interpret and, and, and understand what God's saying. One of the things that's important is to understand that this was written in a time and place to a specific people. So there is a context and an intent. There was an intent, intentional writing of this thing to people. So like in the text we're reading this morning, Paul, these are the last words of Paul, and he's writing to Timothy. Last night we read the last words of Peter. He's writing to the, the church at large. So there's, there's, a, a specific, there's a specificity to what the Word of God is saying always. And I think that's important for understanding the context that it was being written in and then drawing the application to where we are today in 2022. But we have to be careful that we don't under-contextualize or over-contextualize. Here's what I mean by that. I'll give you an example. Under-contextualizing would be we don't recognize that there's some specific things being said to a group of people in a place and time, and I need to understand that before I make the application to me. I'll give you an example in just a second. Over-contextualizing would be saying we need to change the Bible to make it fit better into the modern sexual revolution. That's, that's not context. So when you start to over-contextualize, then you leave the authoritative teaching, teachings of Scripture. And, you, and, and that, the Bible uses the word apostasy. At the root of apostasy or the turning away from the faith is a rejection of the authority of Scripture. So, so to, let, me, let me explain. Uh, like, uh, if we contextualize something wrong, I'll give you an example. When I was growing up, I grew up, I, I made a joke about it last night. I probably shouldn't joke about it. Independent, fundamental, um, if you don't know what that is, um, now's not the time. Um, my, I love my mama so much. My mama loves Jesus. And she goes to an independent fundamental Baptist church, biggest one in Western North Carolina. It's called Trinity Baptist. I went to school with the pastor's uh, boys. Uh, they loved, I'll tell you this, they love Jesus and they love the Bible. Um, but there's, there's uh, some strong, strong views that I just don't agree with. Um, and I remember when I was growing up, my mom would often say, she would quote this verse from one of Paul's Corinthian letters. And the verse is, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord of hosts. And then she would apply that to, you got to wear your hair a certain way. you got to tuck your shirt in. You can't listen to rock and roll music. You it was like, she would say, we got to be separate. We don't listen to the same music the world. You can't. And so when I, got, when I became a Christian at age 20, and I, drill, I, I remember early in my Christian faith, I'm like, I'm going to go back and study the verses that I knew growing up. That was one of the ones I studied, and here's what I learned. The church at Corinth was off the rails, man. Them people were crazy. Them people were like mountain people, man. Them people were like my, a lot of my cousins. Like, they were, they were crazy. They were like super religious. But here's what they were doing. So the church, the pagan religions in Corinth, I read a book by Bruce Metzger, who was a, 60 years probably, he was a professor at, a theology professor at Princeton and started when it was a conservative institution. Metzger was, a, was an amazing 
historian and writer, and I, read, I don't remember the name of the book, but he talked about, uh, he talked a lot about comparative religions at the time of Jesus, and one of the things he talked about was religion in Corinth, places like Corinth and Ephesus, and he looks at these different religions that the Roman uh, people in the Roman Empire would, would have would have worshipped in, and he, he talked, about, I remember he talked about uh, where the term bloodbath came from, and it was, there was, and I don't remember what religion or what God they were worshiping, but there was this consecration into this religion where they would bring people and they would stand them under a metal grate and then they would, they would bleed out. They would cut the throat of a bull and, and they would bathe in the blood of this bull. And it was all part of this priestly ritual. It was just kind of crazy. Like, and, and then, and there was often euphoric, sexual experience associated with the worship of pagan deities temple prostitution intoxication people would use hallucinogenics or they would get intoxicated so so this was kind of the corinthian religious experience corinth was like las vegas you know but very religious but worshiping pagan deities so it's it's hard for us to wrap our brain around that and contextualize what so Paul's addressing young new Christians who have been saved and brought in and brought into the family of God and they're trying to figure out how do we worship the God of this new quote unquote new religion how do, Jesus who had said this is the new covenant in my blood how do we worship him well when we're worshiping such and such deity we get drunk and so at the Lord's Supper, they're like, oh, here comes the wine. Okay, I know what this is about. And they start to abuse, and it, and it gets this really gray area. Well, I know that when worshiping these pagan deities, we speak in unknown languages. They would have these demons. This is why when Paul's addressing the Corinthians, he's like, be careful when you're speaking in these other languages. You could be talking to demons. Be careful when you're taking the Lord's Supper. Some of you are getting drunk. And he's pointing out things that they were bringing over from these pagan this pagan religion temple prostitution is not a thing we we practice fidelity to god and to our spouse you got to god's going to change the way we do things so when he says come out from that way of life we're going to do things separate and different this mirrors ancient israel when god when god gave them instruction where he would say, don't wear a certain type of clothing. Don't mark your bodies a certain way. Don't do X, Y, or Z because I'm creating a separation from the pagan peoples around you. You'll see this pattern oftentimes when, the, when God's raising up a group of people from within a, a, a culture. And so in, in Corinthians, it's not like don't listen to rock music or get a mullet that touches the bottom of your collar, you know. You can't listen to Christian music that's got um, drumbeat in it. You know, like, it was crazy. It's like, and some of you are like, what? Like, those are just some rules that I remember, I remember thinking, why do we have that rule? God does not call Christians to arbitrary rule following. Amen. He calls us to freedom. Amen. And then he says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity to feed the flesh. That's the context that that we live in as believers so when when paul writes to the corinthians and he says come out from among them and live separate lives he's saying we worship differently because we worship and serve a living god Amen. who was dead buried and resurrected this is why i'll say in first corinthians 15 i would remind you brothers of the gospel i preached to you 
past tense, in which you were saved, past tense, in which you now stand, present tense, and in which you are being saved, ongoing, future perfect tense. The gospel defines everything for us. That's different from the, the world religions around us. And so understanding the, 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 the context and, uh, of, of, and the intent of the writer is important when we approach the scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God, but, but it was written in a specific place and time. And then understand what does that mean for us in the modern context. There's a tension. We talked about tension last night. There's a tension there, and that's a good thing. And, and so when we, when we come to the word of God as Christians, we come to the word of God recognizing that this is where we receive life and godliness. We were not long ago, I mentioned last night, we, were, uh, we like to go cliff jumping and swimming. And, and man, there's got so many parks and you know, national forests and, and mountain property, and it's just awesome. And we were, we were uh, swimming one time. Uh, well, this was uh, back in July, so every year on my wife's birthday, she likes to go somewhere. We go, a bunch of, bunch of people go, and we go swimming. And this particular place, one of her favorites, it's called Turtleback Falls. You got to walk in about two miles to get to it, and it's a big waterfall. It's big rock, looks literally like the size of this building, a big turtle's shell. And then the water's pouring over it, and you get up on top, and you slide off of that rock. And then you drop maybe like 15 feet and into the pool below, you know, and swim out. There's always... You know, like a bunch of redneck hillbillies up there, and then you got the, you got them people. It's like my people, and then you got like tourists, and it's like everybody's looking at each other, and um, it's always a bunch of big crowd. But anyway, so she got her, she went off that thing and hit somebody's shoulder or knee, and I mean, I saw it happen, and I saw a look on her face when she came up, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is not good, and I thought she's getting ready to go unconscious, but she had a real bad concussion. We ended up at the ER that night, and. And but she, I thought her cheekbone was broken and her jaw, I thought it was broken. And every time she breaks something on her face, and we go to the doctor, I have to go to the ER, and I'm like, I promise I don't beat my wife. You know, like <laughs> she's an adventurous soul. She broke her chin one time, and um, but we, but we had, we got to walk like two miles. It's like a mile and three quarters back to the truck. Up, most of it's uphill because you walk down into this this gorge. You got to walk back out. And she's like, we got to start walking right now. And she couldn't talk and. She's, I mean, she's in a lot of pain, and we, we, we walk, and I'm thinking, I'm, she's going to end up passing out, I'm going to have to carry her, which, that is not going to be good, I don't know if I can get, you know, I don't know, well, I, I've heard the stories where people get adrenaline, you know, and then they can do great things, and I was like, that'd be cool if that happens, but I wonder how long, I wonder how long you have that, and I was like, let's just keep walking, so we're walking along, and we get about an hour, or, or about a mile out, and I say, you need to stop and sit down and she's like no i i cannot stop if i stop then i don't know that i'll finish i gotta get to the truck i just gotta and she's walking really slow she said i just gotta take a step at a time she's in a lot of pain ended up at the er that night and and you know she's all busted up and the that idea of one step at a just one foot in front of the other that's that so describes a christian life and every day is another step, and there's steps within that day. And the Word of God is is critical to your daily survival. We use a we use a saying at Snowbird um, that comes from an, an Old Testament story where this prophet God calls this unnamed prophet. He goes and he makes a prophecy to the king. He speaks a word against a pagan king in Israel, and God says, "Go up there. You speak the truth. Thus saith the Lord. Then you turn around and you come home." 
You don't, it's like you don't talk to anybody else. You just go there, do your thing, come back, don't stay overnight. Don't. It's a long journey. And on the way back, a false prophet tricks him. It's like, I'm a prophet too. And, and he gets him to come and spend the night with him and his family and has a, has a meal. And anyway, the, basically the guy takes one act of disobedience. And then the next day he starts walking home and a lion kills him. Like you're reading that story and you're like, whoa, you ever read the Bible and you're like, whoa, 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 wait, what just happened? A lie is like, and a lie. it's like, and then the prophet goes and he preaches to the king and he tells the king this. And you're like, that guy's awesome, man. And he's walking home and then he goes here and then this guy, and I'm like, no, no, don't stay at that guy's house. Oh, he stayed at that guy's house. God told him to go straight home. Wonder what's going to happen. And then there was a lion and the lion killed him. I'm like. So I was sharing this with our staff, and I was like, the moral of this story is take a day off, you get killed by a lion. You know, like, like, but this, this idea of no days off in the Christian life is, is it's critical that we see that through the lens of the Word of God in our lives. That we approach the Word of God recognizing I have a responsibility to submit to the Scripture, do the hard work of studying the Word of God, and understanding what I'm, what I'm. Um, studying and there's my i was i was speaking um many years ago uh probably well it was it was probably seven or eight years ago i was speaking at a it's when i met my future son-in-law speaking at on the campus of north carolina state university secular institution y'all know the gospel is under attack in no greater force than in academia and so I'm speaking in an open forum every Thursday night on campus in the one in this one big auditorium. They have someone come in and lecture on a on a specific subject, and these are like TED talks. If you're familiar with TED talks, so you give a 15 to 20 minute lecture. Then there's there's questions asked. There's some discussion. You respond to the audience, and I'm and I mean they got people talking about aeronautics because it's an engineering school. They got people talking about agriculture because they got a big ag school. But the night that I, and then students, a lot of students, they have to go to so many of these. So like if there's 12 of these Thursday nights in a semester that they do these and they have to go to four of them and do a report on them or whatever. So the, so it's just going to be a random five, 600 students in this auditorium. And I'm given the, I'm, I'm to lecture on opposite someone else, the biblical view of sexuality. Oh, that was easy. That was not high stress at all. I mean, that was that was not that that was comfortable, you know. Like, uh, but but I remember I remember going in there and just constantly reminding myself, I believe in the authority of the Word of God, and I will not apologize for that. I'm not going to go in there. You cannot sharpen the edge of the sword any more than it already is, and you cannot dull the edge of the sword. And and. All we do is we wield the sword of truth. And, and so when we approach the scripture, we approach the scripture recognizing this is not only authority for our lives, but it's authority for all of life, for all people, for all time. I was talking to my, my son-in-law right after that, and I said, man, how, how quick when you got here did you come under attack for being a believer? He said, day one, freshman year, he was a pretty new Christian. Day one, freshman year, anthropology class, a guy started, the professor starts to attack me, and the, and the whole attack is pointed at, you believe in the Bible? Like, you, do you, wait, do you believe 
the Red Sea parted. Do you, and, he's, and it's like, do you believe? And he starts to point out miracles. And to try to, he's basically gaslighting is what he's doing. He's trying to make the Christian look and feel like he's crazy. And Jonathan and I were talking at supper last night about this uh, pastor out west. His name's Doug Wilson. And you agree with a lot of what he says and does, disagree with some of it. But he's a wild man, and he's, he is bold, and he's been in some crazy venues defending the faith. And I even heard recently that Joe Rogan has got him lined up to come onto his podcast. Doug Wilson's like, he's an intense dude. And so he's in like a CNN or MSNBC, some kind of one of these secular liberal platforms. And the, the lady opposite him says, she's talking about the Garden of Eden, and she says, you believe that an animal spoke? And Wilson, without missing a beat, is like, uh, uh, yeah, I believe that. I mean, you're speaking right now, and you're an animal. <laughs> now, at first, it sounds like he's calling her an animal in a derogatory way, but what he's doing is he's recognizing, in your worldview, you're just one step ahead in the evolutionary cycle. So let's play the game by your rules. You're speaking right now. What What is so strange about that? And... And when we recognize the authority of Scripture in our lives, we have to, I think we've got to brace for the fact that that will often be the target and ridicule of persecution. And you will not stand fast and stand firm in the moment of that persecution if you're not surrendered and immersed in this book every day of your life. When that time comes, like you won't believe in it. You'll, You'll capitulate or you'll soften or you'll compromise so let's unpack in our in our last in our last few minutes here let's unpack what he what he's saying when he says all scripture is breathed out um first off it's important to recognize that he's that he's that word breathed out means literally the breath of god it's from the breath of god and when he says all all scripture he's clearly speaking at this time and context of the old testament so ancient hebrew writings he's speaking clearly to that peter said that None of the Old Testament writers and prophets were writing of their own volition or intellect, but rather they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, Second Peter 1, 19-21, which is the subsequent text of what we studied last night. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing that, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Literally carried along by the Holy Spirit. I think we can also look to... Here's, here's something that I think is really helpful. I'm reading a book right now. Um, I like to start sentences like that because it puts me in an intellectual category. Um, <laughs> what I mean by that is I'm going to read the first two chapters of it. And then I won't read any more of it, to be honest. Let's all be honest here. So, um, so I'm, I, it's by Eric Metaxas, and uh, it's called, uh, Is Atheism Dead? And it's really interesting because that's, you know, is God dead? Is Christianity dead? That's something that's constantly pushed up and pushed forward throughout history, uh, modern history. Is atheism dead? And he points out something that's real interesting. He's, he's pointing out these different areas where science and history and archaeology continue to affirm at a high level things that the word of god has taught and it's fascinating because it's undermining the atheistic worldview even from a philosophical standpoint like like if you study if you study um the archaeological digs that have been done at jericho it's fascinating 
it supports the, the Joshua 2 narrative, the Joshua 2 through 4 narrative of the wall that stayed intact where Rahab had the rope hung out of the window. You know, these, these digs at Jericho, they find that there's one particular section of the wall that's still standing in the 1880s that's facing the section of wilderness that we know the spies went into to hide from the king's guards. It's like it, it, it actually gives credibility to what we already know to be true. Same thing has happened at Ur of the Chaldeans, where Abraham came from. There are these ar- so archaeology is proving the Old Testament narratives. And I'm not trying to turn this morning into an apologetic classroom kind of discussion. But I'm saying the Word of God is never going to be disproved. Listen to me, church. The Word of God will never be disproved by science or history. Amen. It's never going to be. All that will happen is the historian or the scientist will find himself staring back at biblical fact and truth that he has just in his own mind proven like that like like we don't have to worry about what's going to happen when science disproves the biblical account of x y it's not going to happen it's not going to happen because of the authority the authority of scripture it's breathed out by god that i, I think that when you, a, a, a cool study for you to do and i spent too much time on this, this earlier service um but I, I want to move on because there's something I want to make sure I get to. If you go study the Dead Sea Scrolls and study them from a conservative scholarship perspective, what you find is the Dead Sea Scrolls are these scrolls discovered in 1948 that legitimize the, the Scripture as we know it in a way that no secular text criticism, uh, a critic can do anything with. Like Basically, we have so much evidence that the word of God given to ancient Israel is the exact same copies of scripture that we have in our hands today. Just so you know, that's unheard of in the world of, of textual criticism. Like it's unheard of. And so we, like I say that to say, for some of us, maybe we just need to know that there's an authoritative, like there's authoritative support for the authenticity of scripture that we can rely on and trust in. But I want to move into for the believer, it's more personal than that. Because for me, like I can, we all know I can believe like that this is what history has proven and taught, but what does it do and mean for me personally? How am I going to respond to the scripture? Because at the end of verse 17, he says, equipped for every good work. What does it matter if all of this, if I, accumulate and collect knowledge and, and, and understand the Bible and grow in my theological framework and understanding, but I don't love people well. I don't do good works. We go back to last night, I'm, I'm, I'm unfruitful and, and ineffective. The Word of God is growing and building us up into people who reflect and live out the, the, the person and work and teachings of Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, let's recognize a few things that he lays out for us in verse 16. First, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Well, that, that word means useful. It's useful. This is so important. It's beneficial. It's useful. And he gives four categories that it's useful in. Teaching, which means the imparting knowledge of the imparting of the knowledge of God's revelation. Reproof, which is conviction. This is conviction over sin. This is where I think this is where it's important to recognize. We got to be careful when you study the Word of God. Don't take a subject and then go find a verse to apply to that subject. Well, what is like like um, I'm wrestling with something, so let me go find a verse. Don't do that. Don't don't use the Word of God as a reference manual. 
The Word of God is something that we interact with because it's living and active. It's living and active. And so I interact with the Word of God, and then it builds me in wisdom and knowledge and discernment. So that when I come to that moment where I need wisdom, the Word of God is going to be at work in me, not let me find a verse. Because if I just try to find a verse, I might go back to where we started this conversation. I might miscontextualize that verse. Like, 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 it's, it's like, um, like I heard a guy one time um, get, get telling his kid uh, at Snowbird, man, you can go off of this cliff. We were, doing a, we were rappelling off of this 100-foot cliff. And he's like, this kid's, you know, this little kid, he's trying to go back over the edge. And, and the guy's like, come on, man, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And I was like, okay, that kid's scared for a reason, and God probably made him scared right now. Like, you're that's not what that verse means, you know. Like, let's get this right, okay. So, like, because there's a right kind of fear. So, so recognizing um, that, that conviction, reproof, growth like it's not let me find a verse it's that it's building me up it's strengthening me as a man or woman in who christ wants me to be correction how i'm to live training in righteousness that's growth as a christian that's directly tied to my sanctification and i want to give you from in in our last few minutes from wayne grudem systematic theology like the characteristics of scripture i think if we can understand how does the word of god build me up how does it reprove convict correct train grow Uh, these characteristics of the scripture i think help me the first is grudem talks and speaks of the authority of scripture which we've already addressed the authority of scripture means that all the words in scripture are god's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey god it's important next clarity there's clarity there's clarity Word of God's clear. It's not ambiguous. There's there's a complexity to it. There's a depth to it. But the story that I love to share with people here is, and I've probably shared it in this church before, but this lady named Sunita that we met in India one time. We were over there. We, we, We do some work in several other countries. We have property in northern India. We were going over there, and a girl that had served on staff at Snowbird gave us a couple of little, like, MP3 players with the new, like, audible New Testament it's great for people that are illiterate and or don't have a copy of the scripture in their language and um they they can't read the bible for themselves and so they're able to listen to the new testament in their language and so we had a copy uh, they're called bible sticks you might be familiar with them a little bit had one in urdu one in hindi and she said hey there's this lady that lives somewhere she said i met her on a trip two years ago and she prayed to receive christ and i kept up with her for a while but i've lost track She's her name's Sunita, and she lives somewhere in South, and she lives in the state of Goa, I think. And I believe there's a city not far from there called Vasco City, and she lives in a near a fishing village. It's basically like saying, "Hey, can you go find this guy named Robert who lives somewhere near the ocean in Florida?" Okay, like, <laughs> like, yeah, okay, I got you, sure, you know. But anyway, the Lord, we prayed and asked God, and, and man, we got, we found this lady. And the Lord led us to this lady. It was crazy. We, it was three days of travel. We go down to Goa. We find there's a place called Vasco City. We get there. We start, you know, protractor, draw a circle. How, what are these villages on the coastline here? Are fishing communities. Where's there an open market? We're looking for this lady. We knew that she had a, a little shop in the open market. Anyway, Lord led us to her. We found her. We get to her. We go in. She's just beaming with the joy of the Lord. She's been a Christian now two years. And we're like, I wonder if she's really 
stayed the course because we see this happen a lot where there's no church no discipleship and sometimes people will get pulled back by the pressures of their life so we go to see her bring her the copy of scripture that that Lindsay had promised to send her and we walk in we tell her who we are it's me my wife and my daughter my daughter was like 12 at the time we have this copy of scripture you know here it is these two bible sticks and she starts weeping and crying she said i've wanted it i've wanted the word of god so badly and and so um like how have you grown you know if you don't have you can't read the bible you don't have a copy of scripture how have you grown and she said well i made my own bible and i was like okay you're not allowed to do that like <laughs> you know <laughs> walk that back a little bit here <laughs> that's how we have some religions in our country where people made their own Bible, and it's very catastrophic, you know. So what she had done is she had taken her son's uh, art supplies from school, construction paper, crowns, stuff like that, and she had just, she just quizzed people about stories from the Bible. It's the story of the woman at the well in John 4, story of um, David and Goliath. And I was like, oh, that's not bloody enough. He actually cut his head off after this. So, I mean, <laughs> your sons are like the biblical version way better. So, uh, but, but look through her construction. She had about 30 stories. They were all narratives. None from the didactic epistles like what we've been studying from last night and this morning. Just a stack of, and, and she said, I look at these every single day. She said, when somebody tells me a story, I draw a picture of it. And that's my Bible I study every day. And in two years of doing that, man, this woman was like, it was like you were in the presence of an angel. You know what I'm saying? You ever been around somebody like, this is a saint of God. This is somebody that is, that is daily with Jesus. Moses comes off that mountain. They're like, that dude looks different. He's been with God. I learned that day that the scripture is so clear. And if I will surrender and submit to it, it'll change me. It'll change me. What he's talking about in verse 17 is it's conforming me to the image of Christ. It's equipping me for every good work. The other characteristics of Scripture that he gives are necessity, sufficiency, and inerrancy. The Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel. It's necessary for maintaining spiritual life. It's necessary for knowing God's will, but it is not necessary for knowing that God exists. So there's a specific application of the gospel that comes through the Word of God. There's a necessity to Scripture sufficiency god didn't say anything he didn't mean to say and he didn't leave any, anything out he's not god's never been like when you did that report that paper in school and you're like man i wish i would have said this or i hate that i didn't add that or god's never done that the word of god is sufficient it's inerrant in the original manuscripts there's it doesn't affirm anything that's contrary to fact when we by the way you hear the word inerrancy used a lot when we talk about biblical inerrancy that's the definition that I like to use. Scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. That's what we mean by inerrancy. And lastly, it's that the Word of God is efficacious. When we talk of the efficacy of Scripture, what we're, what we're talking about is the, the Word of God is able to produce the exact intended desired result that God has for it. We talk about, we use this word to talk about the efficacious nature of the atonement or you'll hear doctors talk about the efficacy of a medication well that's not efficacious or this we have full efficacy when when people that had this disease or this virus were given this medication it was 100 percent efficacious the efficacy of the scripture means that what god intends to do with the word of god it has the power the authority and the capability to accomplish it's efficacious we trust the word of god so what does that mean for all of us 
Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete. You cannot be complete as a man or woman of God without the word of God. You will not grow into the man or woman that God would have you to grow into. Equipped for every good work, you'll not do the work of the gospel, the work of the church, the work of a believer without this. God has a plan in saving you, and part of the plan is to conform you to the image of Christ. We call this sanctification, and the word of God is critical to this process. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, you can. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But if you're a Christian this morning, I would encourage you, encourage you to trust the word of God and commit to daily surrender to the scripture and be a student of the word. Let's pray.